Hello, everyone. Welcome to the special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Susan Deneker, with the law firm of Steptoe & Johnson in West Virginia. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. As our listeners know, I get so excited because we get the best speakers on this podcast on super interesting topics. Today is no exception. In fact, we're going high tech today. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing artificial intelligence in the workplace. And I'm really excited to tell you who's joining us today. Beth Liner and Jenny Dunlap, who are shareholders with the law firm of Baker and Donaldson, are here today to bring their expertise on the AI topic in the workplace. And I want to just jump right in. Beth and Jenny, welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you today. Thanks so much for having us. We are absolutely excited to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, bring your expertise to the table for us. Artificial intelligence is something that's everywhere. A lot of employers think that this belongs in the tech or the corporate world in a separate bucket. We don't need to worry about that in the employment law context. But in fact, that's not true. There are things that we need to worry about. So tell us, why are employers even thinking about using AI? I'll take that one. This is Beth. And I'll tell you, I, I think it's because there are some some clear benefits to using it. Things like streamlining recruitment, the time that you can save and having AI sift through hundreds or even thousands of resumes for you to narrow it to likely candidates is certainly appealing. Things like using AI to streamline the interview process. And I'll tell you, that's the most fascinating piece of this to me is the use of the tech to have an interview conducted with video and the AI is assessing micro expressions to the point that it is identifying cues that you might present during that interview that factor into performance. And it's fascinating what AI has been able to present and demonstrate in the context of recruitment and onboarding. And then there's things like streamlining your learning and development process for onboarding and continued employment so that learning is personalized to each employee and for each position in a way that otherwise, I know my clients have in the past utilized a whole team of resources to put those programs together for their employees. So there are so many benefits out there that employers recognize and certainly want to take advantage of. Beth, that's a really great overview. Are you seeing some of your clients using AI tools in both hiring and promotion decisions? I'm seeing them move in that direction. I think there is a certain level of caution, and I think Jenny can explain why there is a certain level of caution. Well, that's a great segue, Jenny, because I'm glad that my facial expressions are not being analyzed at any given point. I'm not sure uh, how that would work out for me. But Jenny, let's talk about that very issue. What are some of the legal issues that are out there for employers who are interested in using these types of tools? Sure. I mean, the interesting thing is we're dealing with all of this new technology and we're trying to figure that out. But the legal principles in terms of what employment lawyers need to be thinking about are really the same legal principles that we 
look to when we're analyzing any decision, any employment decision, and those are, are we making decisions that either have result in disparate treatment or in disparate impact? And so the EEOC has made it clear that those principles still apply, even if you're using this new technology. The old you know, McDonnell Douglas burden shifting framework is still going to apply even if a decision is made by a tool, an AI tool, just as it would if an HR manager was making the decision. And so the, you know, employers are going to have to be able to justify the outcome of an AI decision to the extent they do go with that decision. And it has either disparate treatment or disparate impact on a particular protected category of individuals. Jenny, those are all good points. I think that the biggest concern, as I've seen it with regard to AI, is not really disparate treatment, that everybody knows that you can't select somebody if that, you know, if you're making selection decisions based upon race, sex, disability, religion, et cetera. I think the concern here is exactly what you talked about, disparate impact. And for all of our legal geeky people like me out there, we're talking about neutral things, right? Devices, mechanisms, processes that look neutral on their face, but when applied, have a disparate impact on a certain category of folks. Talk to us about the dangers of that and using these AI tools. Sure. I think the biggest danger is the concept of garbage in, garbage out. So your AI tool is working with the data that you have on your current workforce. So if your current workforce is skewed, towards, let's say, white males. You have more white males in top performing positions than you do any other types of individuals. And you input data into an AI tool and say to the AI tool, I want you to give me the characteristics of our top performers. The output you get may be skewed towards characteristics and traits that are those of white males. There is this I don't know if it's urban legend, but there's a story I've heard told time and time again. I actually tracked down what I think is the original article and found an attorney who quoted that this was an example one of his clients gave him. So hopefully this is accurate. But there was a company who was doing some beta testing on an AI tool on their current workforce, and they were doing exactly what I just Describe. They were trying to get the tool to identify the characteristics of their top performers. And the result was that from the AI tool was that they needed to hire individuals named Jared who played lacrosse in high school. Now, clearly, there are some problems with that. And what I'm guessing happened there is that the data that this company had would show that they had primarily males in those positions. And, you know, if if you think about people who typically play lacrosse, you could say that it's usually Caucasian. So there's some difficulty and, you know, needing to understand what your workforce looks like now before you use it to make suggestions about what you do moving forward. This is what I love about ELA podcasts. We bring everything to our listeners, not just the law, but even urban legend where it could possibly be applicable. Jenny, I love that story. So we're worried here about tools that may 
disproportionately impact or exclude certain categories of folks. We talked about what those categories look like. How do employers then institute processes if they want to use these tools that can help make their work more efficient, especially in the hiring process, I think is where we're mostly seeing that. How do they utilize these tools but balance the risks here and ensure that they're reviewing the tools to make sure that it's not garbage in, garbage out? So I think what the first step is, is before you even start to purchase an AI tool from a software company, you need, the employer needs to really understand what that AI tool is going to do and how it's supposed to work so that they can get their arms around what it's supposed to look like and have discussions with the vendor about what happens if it doesn't work the way that you say it's going to work? What happens if we get sued because this ends up being a case of disparate impact? Is the vendor going to indemnify the employer? Is the vendor going to come and help testify in the case to help explain how the algorithms and the AI tool work? And so there should be a lot of focus in entering into the agreement with the vendor on how this works and what's going to happen if it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to do. And this is going to be more than just having, you know, the AI software salesperson on the call with someone who's, you know, on your business team in the company. You're going to want to have HR people involved and in-house counsel and maybe even your employment lawyer to make sure that the company is protected. Because if there is one thing that is absolutely clear, that the EEOC has made absolutely clear about this, is that the liability is on the employer, even if it's the vendor software that caused the problem. The vendor is not on the hook. The employer is. Jenny, that's really excellent advice. And that makes me think that we need to touch upon something that Beth talked a little about earlier when she was talking about the uses of AI, but the fact that This is just like the HR person sifting through resumes or making decisions. The liability is the same. The responsibility is the same. But I'd like for you to talk a little bit more in depth about that, about how HR folks or whomever at the employer is making these decisions needs to go back and review the decisions just like they did old school, right? And the old school process of hiring and sifting through stuff, how does that translate now into this AI world? You've hit the nail on the head, Susan. It's a checks and balances approach. It's a let's utilize this system. Let's streamline things to the best that we can. But let's also understand that AI is new. It has its issues. We have things like hallucinations out there where it just imagines things out of thin air. And we are responsible for monitoring and managing what those systems put out. And HR is already tasked with so many things in the employment and workspace that we have today in the U.S. And I know this sounds challenging, but it is certainly something that is necessary. Take a look. Say, okay, this is the stack of hundreds of resumes. Is there any disparate impact that's been imposed by our system? And those things are things that we help clients with periodically from all sorts of perspectives and doing some sort of adverse impact analysis is not a complicated or complex process, but it is something that can assure the employer that that the decision-making is sound. 
100%, Beth. I think that that's excellent. And, you know, I think the point is, and you're going to remember this because Jenny gave us the urban legend. If you've only interviewed folks who are named Jared and were lacrosse players, something went wrong, right? But that adverse decision analysis is so important. Jenny, I want to come back to you. You talked a little bit about the EEOC, but the EEOC put out some guidance on this just a couple of months ago for employers. Talk to us about that and what we need to know about that guidance. That's right. So going back to January of this year, when the EEOC issued its strategic enforcement plan that goes through 2027, it confirmed that the agency is going to focus on the use of AI through the span of an employee's employment from recruitment to application to performance management. And then in May of this year, the EEOC released a technical guidance assistance document that talks about how to assess the adverse impact in software algorithms in AI in selection procedures. And, you know, some of the suggestions in there, or the majority of the suggestions in there for how to assess potential adverse impact just as Beth said, it's nothing new. They even use the good old four-fifths rule as an example of a good test to make sure that you're not having an adverse impact. Of course, that isn't a fail-safe, but it's a pretty good barometer of whether or not you have that there. But for me, the biggest takeaway was just the very clear guidance in that assistance document that says that employers bear the burden of compliance with AI employment tools and that they can be held liable for the actions of agents, including software vendors. Wow. She started off with Urban Legend and now she's at math talking about the four-fifths rule. I'm, I'm about to get lost here if we get too technical. But all great points and that EEOC guidance can be found by our listeners online and is a great tool to think further about this issue. So, Beth, what are the takeaways here? If you're an employer listening to this and you're thinking, geez, I mean, I was just worried about chat GPT, but now I actually need to be worried about AI and my hiring and my employment process. What are the takeaways for employers? Don't dive off into an agreement to use some form of AI to take on these tasks until you've assessed the situation. As Jenny mentioned, you need to spend some time talking with your potential vendors. I mean, I know there are some folks out there who have rejected the vendors available and are building their own tools using AI and building them in-house. There are other considerations to take in mind, like data protection, data privacy, who owns intellectual property that comes as a result of using AI tools. And those types of issues, in addition to the workplace issues, certainly warrant a pause, maybe a talk with your your counsel about what are the questions we need to be asking of vendors or what are the questions we need to be asking internally if we're building our own system and really thinking it through and just recognizing that there are risks. Beth and Jenny, this has been a really fabulous discussion. Thank you for bringing your expertise to our listeners on this interesting and timely discussion. This is an area that I think we can come back and talk about soon because it's just going to continue to grow. And there are a lot of confusing issues out there that as the technology advances, our employers and our listeners will have to keep up with. But thank you for your guidance today. I would like to point out also the ELA, for those listeners who are interested in diving in more, the ELA has a webinar coming up on the topic on September 27th. And Jenny did a webinar 
that has a much more in-depth discussion of what we've talked about today on August 29th that's available on our website. So for those listeners who are interested, I'll pitch that to you. Thanks, Beth. Beth and Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Susan. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in as always. If you would like to connect with Beth or Jenny, please click on their bios in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Susan Deniker from Steptoe & Johnson. Thanks for listening.